file thirty seven of a treatise of human nature by david hume volume two this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by george jaeger book three of morals part two of justice and injustice section one justice whether a natural or artificial virtue i have already hinted that our sense of every kind of virtue is not natural but that there are some virtues that produce pleasure and approbation by means of an artifice or contrivance which arises from the circumstances and necessity of mankind of this kind i assert justice to be and shall endeavour to defend this opinion by a short and i hope convincing argument before i examine the nature of the artifice from which the sense of that virtue is derived it is evident that when we praise any actions we regard only the motives that produced them and consider the actions as signs or indications of certain principles in the mind and temper the external performance has no merit we must look within to find the moral quality this we cannot do directly and therefore fix our attention on actions as on external signs but these actions are still considered as signs and the ultimate object of our praise and approbation is the motive that produced them after the same manner when we require any action or blame a person for not performing it we always suppose that one in that situation should be influenced by the proper motive of that action and we esteem it vicious in him to be regardless of it if we find upon inquiry that the virtuous motive was still powerful over his breast though checked in its operation by some circumstances unknown to us we retract our blame and have the same esteem for him as if he had actually performed the action which we require of him it appears therefore that all virtuous actions derive their merit only from virtuous motives and are considered merely as signs of those motives from this principle i conclude that the first virtuous motive which bestows a merit on any action can never be a regard to the virtue of that action but must be some other natural motive or principle to suppose that the mere regard to the virtue of the action may be the first motive which produced the action and rendered it virtuous is to reason in a circle before we can have such a regard the action must be really virtuous and this virtue must be derived from some virtuous motive and consequently the virtuous motive must be different from the regard to the virtue of the action a virtuous motive is requisite to render an action virtuous an action must be virtuous before we can have a regard to its virtue some virtuous motive therefore must be antecedent to that regard nor is this merely a metaphysical subtlety but enters into all our reasonings in common life 
though perhaps we may not be able to place it in such distinct philosophical terms we blame a father for neglecting his child why because it shews a want of natural affection which is the duty of every parent were not natural affection a duty the care of children could not be a duty and it were impossible we could have the duty in our eye in the attention we give to our offspring in this case therefore all men suppose a motive to the action distinct from a sense of duty here is a man that does many benevolent actions relieves the distressed comforts the afflicted and extends his bounty even to the greatest strangers no character can be more amiable and virtuous we regard these actions as proofs of the greatest humanity this humanity bestows a merit on the actions a regard to this merit is therefore a secondary consideration and derived from the antecedent principle of humanity which is meritorious and laudable in short it may be established as an undoubted maxim that no action can be virtuous or morally good unless there be in human nature some motive to produce it distinct from the sense of its morality but may not the sense of morality or duty produce an action without any other motive i answer it may but this is no objection to the present doctrine when any virtuous motive or principle is common in human nature a person who feels his heart devoid of that motive may hate himself upon that account and may perform the action without the motive from a certain sense of duty in order to acquire by practice that virtuous principle or at least to disguise to himself as much as possible his want of it a man that really feels no gratitude in his temper is still pleased to perform grateful actions and thinks he has by that means fulfilled his duty actions are at first only considered as signs of motives but it is usual in this case as in all others to fix our attention on the signs and neglect in some measure the thing signified but though on some occasions a person may perform an action merely out of regard to its moral obligation yet still this supposes in human nature some distinct principles which are capable of producing the action and whose moral beauty renders the action meritorious now to apply all this to the present case i suppose a person to have lent me a sum of money on condition that it be restored in a few days and also suppose that after the expiration of the term agreed on he demands the sum i ask what reason or motive have i to restore the money it will perhaps be said that my regard to justice and abhorrence of villainy and knavery are sufficient reasons for me if i have the least grain of honesty or sense of duty and obligation and this answer no doubt is just and satisfactory to man in his civilized state and when trained up according to a certain discipline and education 
but in his rude and more natural condition if you are pleased to call such a condition natural this answer would be rejected as perfectly unintelligible and sophistical for one in that situation would immediately ask you wherein consists this honesty and justice which you find in restoring alone and abstaining from the property of others it does not surely lie in the external action it must therefore be placed in the motive from which the external action is derived this motive can never be a regard to the honesty of the action for it is a plain fallacy to say that a virtuous motive is requisite to render an action honest and at the same time that a regard to the honesty is the motive of the action we can never have a regard to the virtue of an action unless the action be antecedently virtuous no action can be virtuous but so far as it proceeds from a virtuous motive a virtuous motive therefore must precede the regard to the virtue and it is impossible that the virtuous motive and the regard to the virtue can be the same it is requisite then to find some motive to acts of justice and honesty distinct from our regard to the honesty and in this lies the great difficulty for should we say that a concern for our private interest or reputation is the legitimate motive to all honest actions it would follow that wherever that concern ceases honesty can no longer have place but it is certain that self-love when it acts at its liberty instead of engaging us to honest actions is the source of all injustice and violence nor can a man ever correct those vices without correcting and restraining the natural movements of that appetite but should it be affirmed that the reason or motive of such actions is the regard to public interest to which nothing is more contrary than examples of injustice and dishonesty should this be said i would propose the three following considerations as worthy of our attention first public interest is not naturally attached to the observation of the rules of justice but is only connected with it after an artificial convention for the establishment of these rules as shall be shown more at large hereafter secondly if we suppose that the loan was secret and that it is necessary for the interest of the person that the money be restored in the same manner as when the lender would conceal his riches in that case the example ceases and the public is no longer interested in the actions of the borrower though i suppose there is no moralist who will affirm that the duty and obligation ceases thirdly experience sufficiently proves that men in the ordinary conduct of life look not so far as the public interest when they pay their creditors perform their promises and abstain from theft and robbery and injustice of every kind that is a motive too remote and too sublime to affect the generality of mankind and operate with any force in actions so contrary to private interest as are frequently those of justice and common honesty 
in general it may be affirmed that there is no such passion in human minds as the love of mankind merely as such independent of personal qualities of services or of relation to ourself it is true there is no human and indeed no sensible creature whose happiness or misery does not in some measure affect us when brought near to us and represented in lively colours but this proceeds merely from sympathy and is no proof of such an universal affection to mankind since this concern extends itself beyond our own species an affection betwixt the sexes is a passion evidently implanted in human nature and this passion not only appears in its peculiar symptoms but also in inflaming every other principle of affection and raising a stronger love from beauty wit kindness than what would otherwise flow from them were there an universal love among all human creatures it would appear after the same manner any degree of a good quality would cause a stronger affection than the same degree of a bad quality would cause hatred contrary to what we find by experience men's tempers are different and some have a propensity to the tender and others to the rougher affections but in the main we may affirm that man in general or human nature is nothing but the object both of love and hatred and requires some other cause which by a double relation of impressions and ideas may excite these passions in vain would we endeavour to elude this hypothesis there are no phenomena that point out any such kind affection to men independent of their merit and every other circumstance we love company in general but it is as we love any other amusement an englishman in italy is a friend a european in china and perhaps a man would be beloved as such were we to meet him in the moon but this proceeds only from the relation to ourselves which in these cases gathers force by being confined to a few persons if public benevolence therefore or a regard to the interests of mankind cannot be the original motive to justice much less can private benevolence or a regard to the interests of the party concerned be this motive for what if he be my enemy and has given me just cause to hate him what if he be a vicious man and deserves the hatred of all mankind what if he be a miser and can make no use of what i would deprive him of what if he be a profligate debauchee and would rather receive harm than benefit from large possessions what if i be in necessity and have urgent motives to acquire something to my family in all these cases the original motive to justice would fail and consequently the justice itself and along with it all property right and obligation a rich man lies under a moral obligation to communicate to those in necessity a share of his superfluities were private benevolence the original motive to justice 
a man would not be obliged to leave others in the possession of more than he is obliged to give them at least the difference would be very inconsiderable men generally fix their affections more on what they are possessed of than on what they never enjoyed for this reason it would be greater cruelty to dispossess a man of anything than not to give it to him but who will assert that this is the only foundation of justice besides we must consider that the chief reason why men attach themselves so much to their possessions is that they consider them as their property and as secured to them inviolably by the laws of society but this is a secondary consideration and dependent on the preceding notions of justice and property a man's property is supposed to be fenced against every mortal in every possible case but private benevolence is and ought to be weaker in some persons than in others and in many or indeed in most persons must absolutely fail private benevolence therefore is not the original motive of justice from all this it follows that we have no real or universal motive for observing the laws of equity but the very equity and merit of that observance and as no action can be equitable or meritorious where it cannot arise from some separate motive there is here an evident sophistry and reasoning in a circle unless therefore we will allow that nature has established a sophistry and rendered it necessary and unavoidable we must allow that the sense of justice and injustice is not derived from nature but arises artificially though necessarily from education and human conventions i shall add as a corollary to this reasoning that since no action can be laudable or blamable without some motives or impelling passions distinct from the sense of morals these distinct passions must have a great influence on that sense it is according to their general force in human nature that we blame or praise in judging of the beauty of animal bodies we always carry in our eye the economy of a certain species and where the limbs and features observe that proportion which is common to the species we pronounce them handsome and beautiful in like manner we always consider the natural and usual force of the passions when we determine concerning vice and virtue and if the passions depart very much from the common measures on either side they are always disapproved as vicious a man naturally loves his children better than his nephews his nephews better than his cousins his cousins better than strangers where everything else is equal hence arise our common measures of duty in preferring the one to the other our sense of duty always follows the common and natural course of our passions to avoid giving offence i must here observe that when i deny justice to be a natural virtue i make use of the word natural only as opposed to artificial 
in another sense of the word as no principle of the human mind is more natural than a sense of virtue so no virtue is more natural than justice mankind is an inventive species and where an invention is obvious and absolutely necessary it may as properly be said to be natural as anything that proceeds immediately from original principles without the intervention of thought or reflection though the rules of justice be artificial they are not arbitrary nor is the expression improper to call them laws of nature if by natural we understand what is common to any species or even if we confine it to mean what is inseparable from the species. End of file 37